That's right, Ken's mentioned that uh, we're starting our Advent series today, so in our morning and our evening meetings every Sunday uh, up until Christmas, we're looking at this theme, Unexpected Christmas. Who put their tree up this weekend? This is like the weekend, I reckon. Loads of us, decorations. We did ours yesterday and some decorating today. Definitely more lights on the houses as I was walking to church this evening. There's a house over there. I don't know if anyone drove into the car park and saw it. They've gone to town, have they not? It's like B&Q's light section on that house over there, if you fancy looking at that. Um, Some good friends of mine who were in this church actually put their tree up last weekend on Saturday, and that was the 30th of November. That's not right, is it? (laughs) Who, Who else did that? (laughs) <laughs> I'm not naming and shaming anybody, Lindsay Morgan, but did you put your, house, did you put your tree up on Saturday in November? I thought we were friends. <laughs> Christmas is definitely coming earlier and earlier. Ken's had a birthday this weekend. He's with me on the staff team that you shouldn't stop Christmas too soon. We're kind of divided, but he and I are right, and uh, the rest of the staff team are wrong. But here we are in our Advent series, and now is not too soon, and I'm really looking forward to exploring this theme together and all of the messages about unexpected Christmas. At Christmas time, there are lots of things that are expected. There are films that we always watch, there are traditions that we always keep to, there are the carols that we love to sing, relatives that we go and visit, and so on. But among those expected familiar things, there will always be the unexpected things that crop up too, circumstances in our lives that weren't on the script. So just to get us into that this evening, why don't we spend 30 seconds, just share a Christmas tradition, maybe from your childhood, maybe something unusual, maybe something you still do now with someone around you. There's a few people sitting, uh, look around to see who they are. Maybe have 30 seconds and just share a Christmas tradition with someone near you. Okay, that'll do, that'll do. Was anybody sitting near anybody who shared something really unusual or just downright odd? Yeah, Rosie. Rosie, tell us your tradition. Um, well, it's actually um, Jack's tradition, so the family I'm about to marry into. Uh, but when they put ornaments on the tree, they each have one ornament and they have to do like a march to this kind of American um, <laughs> military. <laughs> you are marrying into a family <laughs> that when you hang the ornament on the tree, you have to march around to an American theme tune. I've got no problem with that. Okay. Anyone else? Can anyone beat that? No, clearly not. That's fine. <laughs> So we have all these traditions at Christmas time, and there's something about the familiarity of them, even if it's odd, there's something about the familiarity of them that's important to us, and we revisit it year after year after year, and it becomes completely normal as part of our family rhetoric, traditions. And as I say, there's the expected things of Christmas and the unexpected things. And what we want to do in this Advent season leading up to Christmas is look at the story afresh, 
look at the familiar, expected story that we love and that we've come to know so well, but also ask God to speak to us in fresh and unexpected ways. So today we're looking at the birth narrative as recorded for us by Matthew, and Matthew focuses on the story from the perspective of Joseph. So we've just seen a retelling of that story through the monologue that we've just watched. And I've called this tonight the unexpected calling, the unexpected calling, as we look at the unexpected role that Joseph played in the Christmas story. So let's read it together. Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 18 to 25. It's page 965, if you want to grab it in the Bibles there. Let's read this together, Matthew 1, 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So there's a whole mix of the expected and the unexpected for Joseph. He is expecting to marry Mary. That was how life was working itself out for him. That was the plan. And then in that expected plan, his life takes an unexpected turn. Now, we know very little about Joseph, really. Nowhere in Scripture do we hear him speak. So actually, it's interesting to listen to a dramatic interpretation, that monologue, uh, and, and think about the kinds of things that he might have said and thought in that clip we've just watched. In Scripture, we see his actions, but not his words. He's not one of the Christmas characters that people get particularly excited about. He doesn't have a place in the spotlight. He's very much a figure in the wings in many ways. But here he is with his life taking an unexpected turn. And there's a quiet acceptance of that that I think is just worth unpacking for us in this Advent season. Matthew is the most Jewish of the Gospels and the one most closely linked to the Old Testament and to the prophecies concerning the Messiah. And Matthew's really keen for his readers to know that actually this Jesus, this baby who was born, is indeed the Messiah. He is the expected, longed-for saviour that was prophesied about so long ago. And that comes over in a recurring way through the whole of Matthew's Gospel. And it starts right at the beginning here with the early account of Jesus. Verse 21, he will be called Jesus because he will save his people from his, their sins. There's a Messiah coming. King Jesus is coming. This baby will be him, the saviour. Luke's account of the birth narrative is from Mary's perspective and Matthew's is from the perspective of Joseph. 
I imagine many of you will have seen this film, which if we're talking about things that are familiar at Christmas, has become a, a kind of iconic part of the Christmas TV schedule. It's a, a staple for some. Love Actually, from, made in 2003, and is on every year, and I know people who watch this every single Christmas without fail. Now, the whole premise of Love Actually is exploring the theme of love. But it explores that through 10 separate stories. So it begins five weeks before Christmas, and there's a countdown towards the events as the film progresses. And as love is explored in different ways, you realize that some of the characters in those 10 different stories are actually interlinked in some way. And all 10 stories illustrate different aspects of love at Christmas time. We've got one film with one central premise but different perspectives shedding light on that premise. And that's what we get in the two Gospels that tell us the accounts and circumstances of Jesus' birth. They're, they're very different accounts, and actually there's no real attempt to bring them into line together, and that is just okay. We don't need to be worried by that. The central premise is the same. The, the countdown as we move towards the event of the birth, and the different perspectives shed light on that central premise. And we look at Jesus as Saviour being born from different angle and different viewpoints. And Matthew shows the whole drama from a particular point of view. So what can we learn from Joseph here as he embraces both the expected and the unexpected in his life, this unexpected calling that God leads him to? There's something helpful here, first of all, I think, about the way that God works through those people who are actually happy to play second fiddle. Joseph is not the hero in the story. He plays second fiddle to more prominent characters. He plays second fiddle to his wife and to Jesus here. And he seems accepting of that and content to do so. Joseph had a uniquely lonely calling. How he must have felt waking up from that dream he could so easily have felt foolish maybe, bypassed, sidelined, and yet he accepts the second fiddle role that God called him to play. And because of that, was absolutely crucial to the birth narrative of the Savior. God works when we are okay about not being the hero, when we are willing to give up being the significant one. I read a great story about a job advert. I don't know how I haven't heard about this before because it's not this year's story, but it's a previous story. And it's um, a Tesco in Wrexham advertised for a temporary role in their store for this job, a Christmas light untangler, 36 hours a week at a competitive salary at their Wrexham store. Imagine that on your CV to say that you've been a Christmas. It was a temporary role for like six weeks because that would be stupid otherwise, wouldn't it? In the six weeks leading up to Christmas. Anyway, the job spec says that duties would include manning and managing the Christmas light untangling stand, checking lights and bulbs for signs of breakage, taking time to help and listen. Every little helps. And then they go on to say that the ideal candidate would be passionate about Christmas and be able to untangle three meters of Christmas lights in under three minutes. 
just trying to imagine the kind of job interview. You know, the candidates like lined up with a timer and a, some, some, some Christmas lights to untangle. Some, some roles are not the headline, limelight, ladder-climbing roles. Much of our lives can be spent feeling like we are the ones in the wings, that we are playing second fiddle, not being the most important person or the most significant person. And I wonder if there's something we can learn from Joseph about not competing or comparing. Joseph may have played second fiddle, but his willingness and acceptance meant that he was entrusted to parent the Son of God. And if we're here this evening in this Advent season and we're feeling sidelined or overlooked or second-rate somehow compared to others who have more status than we do, then actually maybe we're the people that God will entrust precious things to. There's also something helpful here in this story about God working through complex families. When you look at Jesus' family tree, it looks just as complicated as families these days can be. I've said that Matthew is the most Jewish of the Gospels, and this theme of kingship and Jesus as king is really important to him. It's a prominent theme that we see in his Gospel, King Jesus, the Messiah, who will bring salvation. So in his genealogy, which is just before the passage that we've read here this evening, it's arranged in such a way as to emphasize Jesus' birth in the royal line. Jesus is king, but here he is, born to a virgin teenager and has a father, Joseph, who parents him, but who isn't his natural father. It's complicated and it's messy. And if you are about to celebrate Christmas, but it's complicated and messy because your family is complicated and messy, then welcome to the gospel. And welcome to a God who, it seems to me, seems to delight in using complex families for his purposes. And to a God who's with us in that complexity. When I was thinking about this passage and a Joseph perspective, um, my mind went to the story when Jesus was 12. Do you know the story where Jesus goes missing um, after the Passover festival in Jerusalem and there's a big crowd that are travelling back and Mary and Joseph are travelling back and they think that Jesus is with them because there's a lot of them but actually he stayed back in Jerusalem and they suddenly realise that he's not with them and they scurry and rush and they rush back to find him and they hunt for him and they find him in the temple. And Mary says in Luke 2, uh, this is verse 48. She says this, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I, I'm imagining kind of pointing to Joseph, your father and I, we've been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, I've always read that story and thought how incredible it was that he was Jesus at age 12 with this, this God awareness of his heavenly father, um, knowing that perspective um, right at such a young age and wanted to go and learn from the teachers how amazing that was. But this week, as I've been thinking about Joseph, I was thinking, how was that from his perspective? This man who had parented Jesus for 12 years, was his heart pierce just a little bit hearing Jesus saying didn't you know I'd be in my father's house 
God didn't entrust his son to be raised by a, a rabbi or a wealthy merchant or a Pharisee, but this ordinary man, Joseph, in a very complicated family setup. At Christmas, we celebrate the blessings and the brokenness of families. And for those of you for whom Christmas is complicated, God sees that and he works through that and is with us in that complexity. Joseph's story here also points to the fact that God always wants to speak into fear. So there are these two gospel accounts of Jesus' birth, and as we've said, they're very different, and that's completely fine, that there's not really any overlap, uh, because they're from different perspectives, and they shed different lights on the um, birth narrative for us. But the one place where they intersect is an angel appearing and saying, don't be afraid. Verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Joseph, in a dream, and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And an angel appears to Mary in Luke and says to her, do not be afraid. Different perspectives on the story, different accounts, but an intersection about fear. I wonder what the Lord wants to say as we think about that. We're talking about the expected and the unexpected. And actually, with anything unexpected, fear is always a natural response, isn't it? Something unexpected crops up for us. What does this mean? What's going to happen? Afraid of the future so often. It's great to explore this expected and unexpected theme through Advent together because actually our lives are full of those juxtapositions. That is just the nature of our life. The familiar and what we know and what we plan juxtaposed with the unexpected that comes our way. I was in London on Friday, not, um, not this Friday, the Friday before, the Friday of the weekend when Lindsay put up her Christmas tree, that Friday. And um, it was actually a really special day for me. It was my son had an, an inset day. He wasn't um, that uh, kind of spare inset day. And I'd offered to do something with him. And he said he wanted to go to London and see the Christmas lights. So we went to London together, just him and me, and had a really lovely day doing London things. And it was beautiful winter sunshine that day. And we walked down the South Bank. And he wanted to go on the London Eye. So we did that. And it was great. And as, as we were on the London Eye, at that exact same time, not far from where we were, was the terror attack on London Bridge. And two people are killed. And I kind of get wind of this news. And it kind of strikes through the, the joy of the moment. There are suddenly police everywhere all around. Now, it didn't spoil our day, um, apart from the nightmare train journey home, but I'm used to Southern Rail, so that was all right anyway. We had a lovely day together. But it was just so fascinating how there's this sharp juxtaposition of joy and sudden um, fear that comes alongside, the expected and the unexpected. Is that not just a picture, a miniature of what our lives are like? The joy and the fear, the expected and the unexpected. And in the fears that come, because that is just life, let's look afresh at this familiar nativity story that we know so well. And hear this angel again arriving to both Mary and to Joseph, saying the same thing from every perspective, from every angle. What's the message? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. 
This is God's plan. What is unexpected to you is expected by the Father. He has a plan. There's a salvation plan. You don't know it. This is new news. You are afraid, but don't be afraid because God has this in hand. And just finally, the last point as we think about this unexpected calling, just wanted to say something about this, that quiet obedience in God's kingdom, in God's economy, is never, ever wasted. Quiet obedience is never wasted. Joseph quietly accepts and obeys the plans and purposes of God. When he first finds out that Mary is pregnant um, before the angel appears, he's going to do what the law required of him and divorce her. But because he was a principled person, he was going to do that quietly. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, we read, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Because he was faithful to the law. Other translations say because Joseph was a good man. Some say because he was a righteous man. Now, we don't hear Joseph speak, but in this story, his actions really do speak louder than words. And we live in a culture that loves to have heroes who are powerful and articulate and flashy and juxtaposed in that culture. There's a lot to be said for quiet faithful obedience to Jesus, to be inspired by this character, Joseph, who relinquishes his right, really, doesn't he, to comfort or to status in order to do what God says. And of course, there are consequences, aren't there? I mean, you think about how the story unfolds. Actually, Joseph needs another angel to tell them to flee, um, to escape Herod in the events that follow and escape to Egypt. It's quiet obedience with consequences, but it's worth it. Sometimes it feels like obedience isn't worth it, that it's hard, but it is worth it. Joseph might not have been center stage, but his quiet obedience meant that he was the one entrusted to parent God's son in that early moment in Bethlehem and in those years that were to follow and watch him grow. Our obedience means that we get to participate in the purposes of God. And I just found myself praying as I was thinking about uh, this message. I found myself praying that, that I would have, that we would have a bit more of a Joseph spirit this Christmas time. Quiet obedience, not competing or comparing, trusting God's promises in the complexity of our families, in the complexity of our lives, with fears that may come, and knowing the joy of what it means to partner with him in his kingdom. Amen.